0: big week of children's ministry. And this is a pirate ship behind me. So uh, if you're watching us by audio or video podcast, you don't need to adjust your video screen at all. Uh, It's going to be a big week for us. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. Last week in this worship service, we had a marriage proposal, which was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I don't know that we'll top that. We had a A senior adult lady who left the worship service last Sunday, though, quite impressed with the marriage proposal, and she said, Brother Tim, I'll come back next week if you'll find a man to marry me. (laughs) So we've asked several of our young bachelors because we really, this is an older lady, and we don't really have any older bachelors. we got some young bachelors, so I asked young bachelors this week, and you know what, one of the guys, when he was asking about, you know, marrying this lady, with a beautiful smile, by the way, he said, does she have money? <laughs> does she have money? Um, money talks, doesn't it? Uh, there's something about money and, and, and how it, it, it makes us perhaps be different. First uh, Kings chapter 21. Let's talk today about the things that money cannot buy. We sometimes give people a different status, a a different sort of place in our minds if we think that they are important, and money often or power makes people seem more important. But let's come back and remind ourselves of the things most important from the story of Naboth. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I'll pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard and trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not, Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him. And they accused Naboth before all the people saying, he cursed God in the key. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they lick the blood of Naboth. So my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered, I have come because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I am going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. As for Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. Let's stop there. Now there was a man named Naboth. It starts in verse 1. Now there was a man named Naboth. You know, there's some people in life who need no introduction and some who do. And it's not assumed that you're going to know who Naboth is. He is a man who needs introduction. He's sort of a nobody special. Y'all know any nobody specials? Yeah, Most all of us, and we live in Woodburn, Kentucky, y'all. I mean, officially, you know, Podunk USA. Not a lot of VIPs here, Uh, although y'all probably don't know all about me. My father-in-law is kind of a big deal. He he doesn't live around here, of course. Um, He's a retired Army colonel. Colonel Tom Wilson, he's a great man. I I love my father-in-law. He's kind of, you know, a big deal. So when I'm with him, I'm kind of a— you know, big deal in law, I guess. (laughs) Not really. Once we were visiting them, they live in Anchorage, Alaska. We were visiting them on the 4th of July. Uh, Again, my father-in-law is a retired army colonel who then went to work in the the cabinet of the mayor of Anchorage. So he really was kind of a big deal, uh, which was kind of fun. One night on the 4th of July, one of the military bands there in in Anchorage was doing this big outdoor concert in honor of the mayor, okay? And so Casey's mom, dad had got us all tickets, all right? So I I came down for this. This is sort of the typical thing with my in-laws. I come down dressed for whatever, and I'm always (laughs) dressed wrong, so I come down and, and uh, we're going to the concert. I said, how do I look? Is this going to be okay? And my mother-in-law said yes in such a way where I knew that she meant no. Yeah, y- y- y'all know what I meant? So uh, I, did, I knew right then, man, this is going to be snooty. Now, I'm from Woodburn, y'all. I don't, I don't really do snooty. I, I don't like a lot of that. I, I don't like to have to dress up. I, I don't like, I, I just don't do all that very well. Someone upstairs kind of griping the case. He's going to be snooty. I know it's going to be snooty. I got to dress up. You know, it's an outdoor concert and I'm dressing up. So I, I dressed up. We got in the car. We went. Turns out, y'all, we were sitting in the VIP section with the mayor. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. I've never really been in Y'all know what VIP even stands for? <laughs> very important person. Okay, I am in the VIP section, not really, understand, my father-in-law is a VIP, I'm just the VIP-in-law, you know, the idiot son-in-law from Kentucky. But anyway, nobody knows that, so now I'm, I'm dressed up, because we're VIPs, they usher us in. So I'm ushered in, passing now all just, you know, I'm a VIP. I'm just passing the peas, you know, just all the people. <laughs> so they usher us into the VIP section, which turns out to be like up front in front of everybody. Now, VIP section, we are sitting in leather chairs. This is an outdoor concert. We're sitting in leather chairs and like people dressed in like black pants and white shirts are bringing us bottles of water and stuff, y'all. This this snooty business I can get used to. (laughs) Because here's the thing, VIPs are in in leather chairs like in front of everybody with the Marine Band playing to us. All the regular people, I guess the unimportant people, just the peas, they're sitting on the ground. They have to sit on the ground. I guess they could have brought a chair, but none of them did. They're just wallowing around on the ground. Man, I felt bad for the little people. So we're sitting here in the VIP section. The band is playing marvelously. I can see the mayor of Anchorage, my father-in-law, the big deal. Now it turns out I'm kind of a big deal because, you know, I'm in the VIP section. And so I start sort of looking across at all just the people. Not the VIP people, but just the people, you know, on the ground, the the groundlings. And there's this one lady who was kind of sitting close to the VIP section on this blanket on the ground. And I kind of felt bad for her. I could tell she was uncomfortable. Had to be uncomfortable. That band just played on and on and on. And if you're in a leather chair, it was nice. But if you're on the ground, I could tell somewhere, you know, you know, in the Star Spangled Banner, man, that lady's whole bottom went to sleep. I mean, she was really uncomfortable. She rolled around and she tried to get comfortable. She propped herself up on one elbow and wadded up the blanket under one of her hips trying to get comfortable. And then I watched her. There was this empty seat in the VIP section like an empty leather chair. And she started eyeballing it. And I started thinking, no, you don't, no, no, (laughs) no. Understand, she's just a P. She wasn't dressed for the VIP, she was dressed like I was dressed before my mother-in-law redressed me, you understand? This lady's not dressed for the VIP section, she's obviously not a VIP. She started looking at that leather chair and I started watching her, I'm just counting down, because I knew she was about to promote herself. She kept looking, she'd roll around, she'd look at that leather chair, and then, yes, she did. She went right up and she put herself in the VIP section. I'm thinking, security? Security? Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, she doesn't belong in the VIP section. Who does she think she is? And then it sort of hit me I don't belong in the VIP section either. I don't belong in the VIP section either, but how quickly I forgot, I'm not so important. I'm certainly not more important than that poor lady on the ground. you understand? It's hard for us to understand. We have this tendency to sort of categorize people. And we have all kinds of ways of imagining that some people are more important than other people. Now, there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel. He needs an introduction because you've never heard of him. In the story of Elijah, Naboth is just a P. He is not a very important person. Nobody knows his name. Did you understand that? But very, very importantly, one of the things we have to recognize in life is that every person matters. And every person matters just the same. Now, in this story, there's Elijah, who's a very important prophet, and there's Ahab, who's a very important king, and Jezebel, who's a very important woman. But understand, everyone matters just the same to God because everyone is of ultimate worth to God. It's not that everybody is equally unimportant to God. Understand, everyone is very important to God. And while Ahab and Jezebel would not even know that Naboth is alive if he didn't have a piece of property that they wanted, understand, God still knows Naboth. He knows his name. He knows everything about him. And God has his entire focus on the man Naboth. He's not lesser He's not less than. He is of ultimate worth to God. And so are you and so is everybody else. We forget this. We have a really difficult time remembering this, that everyone matters, that everyone is of equal importance. We don't have any trouble remembering that everybody's a sinner. Understand? We don't have any trouble remembering that some people are better looking than other ugly people. You know, we don't have any trouble with that. But we have a really difficult time simply remembering that everyone is of ultimate worth to God. In this story, Naboth matters as much to God as Ahab or Jezebel or or Elijah. But it, it, it almost doesn't seem that way because of the way he's treated, but because of the way it turns out. Here's Ahab and Jezebel up, up in their palace. Understand? They have everything that money can buy and somehow they're still not satisfied until they get what Naboth has. Turns out what Naboth has is all the things that money can't buy. So just very briefly this morning, let's talk about the things that money can't buy. The things that come only from Christ. I said that Ahab and Jezebel are, are up in their palace. They, they are. Now in Ahab and Jezebel's day, understand that they are rock stars. Ahab is one of the most powerful men on the planet. He's a king. He's a wealthy king. He has a palace. He has servants. He has everything. Absolutely everything that, that, that wealth could buy. He has a wife, Jezebel, who apparently was beautiful, but one of the most evil women who's ever lived. To this day, the name Jezebel has those kind of evil, wicked connotations. People remember her for her wickedness, and she's wicked. They have everything absolutely everything. When they walk out onto the town, they they stroll down the red carpet and everybody's eyes are on them. Everybody pays attention to Ahab and Jezebel. That They have land, they have animals, that they have gold, they have everything. But Ahab realizes that there's something that he doesn't have. And and it's absolutely amazing that for everything that he has, he can possibly even uh, find himself struggling over the one little thing that he doesn't seem to have. And it's this little patch of land. It's not a giant farm or estate. It's just this little bitty patch of land that happens to join his land. It backs up to his palace, and the very fact that it doesn't belong to him just drives him nuts. The one thing that he can see that doesn't have his name on it, he becomes determined to put his name on it. It happens to be a little bitty vineyard that's owned by nobody special, a man named Naboth. Now, here's the thing. Ahab and Jezebel with everything, absolutely everything you can imagine. They continue to buy, sell, and trade, and otherwise advertise their their dissatisfaction from the palace. Meanwhile, Naboth is just this ordinary man, not wealthy, not famous, nobody special. But he has one thing that Ahab and Jezebel will never have, and that's contentment. He's just content. Ahab is determined to have and grab and gain more, but that's not what Naboth is. He just minds his own business. He has what he has and he's satisfied with it. So much so that when Ahab comes and says, Listen, I want to buy your vineyard, I will pay you any amount of money. Naboth says, Well, really, it's not for sale. Ahab says, what do you mean? Everything's for sale. You just name your price. I'll give you another vineyard. I can put you in a new car. I can make you famous. I can give you anything you want. I just want your vineyard. And Naboth says, no, no. There's really no price tag for a piece of land that's been passed down from my ancestors. Now understand what that means. He's not just saying this is my grandfather's place and I want to keep it. That's not what he's saying. In the Old Testament, all of the land belongs to God. You remember this? All of the land belongs to God, and God had given that land out in in portions to families, to clans, to tribes. And those families continued to keep that land in their family, in their family's name. Because understand, that land becomes their connection to the promises of God. Remember, this is the promised land. And Naboth says, this land has been passed down in my family. This is my family's connection to the covenant of God. So for Naboth, this land has significance. It has spiritual significance. This is my family's connection to the promised land, to to God's covenant. And and there's no amount of money that's going to make me give that up. Contentment. No amount of money. No price tag for it. Man, can you even imagine that kind of contentment? C- can you imagine just being the kind of person so satisfied that you're no longer for sale? That there's just nothing that you want, nothing that you need to buy. Just and the money's not even something that, that, that you think a lot about. Can you even imagine most of us are absolutely obsessed with getting more and more and more. It's our culture. You can't watch television because television's all about commercials. It's all about creating a need you didn't even know you had. You didn't even know you needed a new iPhone until you found out there's an iPhone 7 coming out. Oh my goodness, you know, I hate my phone. I mean, this is what we do. We only learn to despise what we have when we realize that there's something better out there. And we are always drawn away by by the idea that there might be something better. But the person who has contentment understands is completely satisfied with what they have. They don't need or want anything better because what they have satisfies them. You Understand, if a, if a person has contentment, that, that person is set for life. If a person has contentment, it's very, very difficult to make them unhappy. If a person already has everything that they want or need, then guess what? That's the wealthiest person on the planet. If there's nothing more to want, nothing that you need, my, my goodness, you've won the lottery. You have it all. Actually, Scripture says that. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 says this. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness. In other words, we're not just talking about you go to church. We're talking about true godliness. It's character and and conduct. It's it's the way you believe but also the way you you behave when the audio of your life matches the video of your life. True godliness mixed with contentment is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Newsflash, 100% of babies are born naked. Right? And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You came in with nothing. You're leaving with nothing. So why can't you be satisfied while you're here? True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Naboth has contentment. It's something Ahab and Jezebel know nothing about. and I need to tell you all about Jezebel. My goodness, this is a wicked woman, really wicked. But at the same time, you you probably know a lot of people like her. She's a a take-control kind of person. Do you notice that? She's a take-control kind of person. If she walks in a room, she'll tell you what to think, and she'll tell you how to feel, and she'll tell you what she's going to do. This is Jezebel. So Ahab made this offer to Naboth for the vineyard, but Naboth couldn't be bought. And Ahab's never met a person that couldn't be bought. And so Ahab sinks into his deep depression. I mean, he can handle anything except somebody telling him no. And now that somebody's told him no, he nearly needs hospitalization. And so Jezebel comes in and says, what's wrong with you? And he says, well, I wanted the vineyard. I wanted the vineyard behind my palace, but Naboth told me no. He, 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 mean old Naboth said no and Jezebel said won't well, you grow up this is how she talks you understand how she talks to him aren't you the king Man, what, is, what is your problem you want that vineyard you're the king I'll, I'll show you how to be somebody I'll just take care of it for you just dry up your crying and your snot and I'll bring you back that vineyard I mean, I mean this is Jezebel so she goes off and she writes letters in his name you know, she's speaking for Ahab now. She writes letters in his name, has this big plan to get Naboth killed. You know, just take his vineyard. I mean, for Jezebel, this is easy stuff. This is easy stuff because she's shameless. That's the word. She's shameless. So I would say the second thing that money can't buy is a healthy sense of shame. Shame's a good thing. Now sometimes we think of shame as a bad thing and maybe some people go too deep into shame. But shame is just that that feeling of pain or embarrassment that that I feel when I've done something wrong. And that's actually important. It's important to have a sense of shame. Jezebel has no shame. She can talk to anybody the way she wants to talk to them because she puts no value on their life. Naboth's life is worth less than that little bitty patch of ground that's just going to be a garden, a vegetable garden. She has no regard for anyone. And understand, she can murder, she can steal, she can lie, she can do anything, and she seems to feel no shame for it. Man. My my dog is, is the dumbest dog on the planet. I mean, I love her. I love her. That's why we let her live, but she's dumb. So walk in the house, and, and Aggie, you know, has probably pooped on the rug because she, you know, she has no respect for our rugs. So so she'll poop on the rug. But if you walk in the house, you don't have to go to the rug because if you come in and Aggie can't look you in the eye, you know what I mean? You got a dog like that? Aggie does shame really well. Like, you know. You come in and she won't look at you. She'll just kind of look around and she'll say, you know, you probably don't want to go in their living room. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, mean, this dog immediately doesn't want to face me. She feels shame. She'll feel embarrassment, you know, not enough apparently to wait till we get home, but just the same. She'll feel shame. She she knows what she's done and knows enough to to sort of not, not look us in the eye. You understand, Dogs have more shame than a lot of people I know. There are people who will lie and look you straight in the eye. There's absolutely no shame. Understand something. Even though you may do wrong without guilt or fear, it doesn't mean that you're not guilty. And it doesn't mean there's not something you should be afraid of, Jezebel. You understand? Jezebel can sin without guilt. And she can operate without fear, but that does not mean that she's not guilty. And it does not mean that she has nothing to fear. Now, the fact is, many of us live a long, long way from that now. A long, long way from shame. Some of us live our lives like this. I mean, there are people who carry on, you know, extramarital affairs at work, and you don't even feel guilty about that. You come in every single night and you look your wife in the face and you don't even feel qualms about that anymore. There's something dead inside of you, sir. Do you understand that? If you can carry on as you do, if you can lie and you can cheat and you can steal and you can live like you live and you never have any sort of sense of embarrassment or shame. You can walk straight into church, look everybody in the face, and and act out this part of a very religious person. I'm telling you, there's something very important that's dead in you. It's a healthy sense of shame, and it is healthy. It's healthy because you can't ever be forgiven for sins that you won't admit. You can never fix or repair the things in your life that you will never admit are broken. You can never ever come to God and be saved if you will never ever repent and confess your sins. And if you don't have that healthy sense of shame, if you're never ever willing to admit that you're wrong, you understand? Then there is something very profoundly and dangerously spiritually broken in you. So, Strive to stay in touch with that. Strive to stay in touch with that natural healthy ability to feel ashamed of yourself when you've done wrong. Jezebel has no shame, no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment, no sense of conviction. She can sin, she can murder, she can steal. She has no qualms. So Naboth is dead. A good man is dead. Ahab and Jezebel have a little, you know, party thing where they just go take his property. But but a man named Elijah crashes that party. God sends him. The, the night that they're going to claim the vineyard as their own, Elijah's right there. And notice how Ahab greets him. It's actually kind of interesting. Ahab says, well, so uh, there you are, my enemy. My, my enemy. Ahab calls Elijah is enemy. Why is Elijah the enemy? Very simply, because Elijah is a friend of God. Because Elijah speaks for God. Because Elijah represents and walks with God. And Ahab is an enemy of God. So if Ahab is an enemy of God, then that means Elijah, who's a friend of God, is going to be an enemy of Ahab's. Ahab is an enemy of God. The, the, the last thing that money can't buy, it's, it's the friendship of God. Amen. Ahab's got it all. Now he's got an A-bus vineyard too, but he does not have the friendship of God. And I said, God is not a respecter of persons. God loves everybody the same, and God loves Ahab. So understand that that brokenness, the fact that Ahab is God's enemy is not because God doesn't love Ahab. It's because Ahab does not know or love God. Ahab is the one who has determined the boundaries of this relationship. And it is Ahab who has made himself God's enemy. People do that, you know. I know you know. People can be the enemy of God. Even church people, uh, understand the fact that you come to church, it doesn't mean that you are in a right relationship with God at all. Money can't buy that, and neither can church attendance for that matter. It's, it's, It's a matter of the heart. And Ahab's heart is turned away from God. Ahab wants to live the life that Ahab wants to live. He loves his money. He loves his power. And he is not going to surrender or yield to any God who claims to be above him. Ahab wants to be the God of his own life. He wants to be the master of his own destiny. See, the only way to become an enemy of God is if you set yourself up in opposition to God and his love. And people do that all the time. Some of you are doing that right now. I mean, coming to church is a pretty good place to hide from God for a lot of us. We feel like if we blend in with the church people, that that way we'll never ever land on God's radar. It seems like a good place to hide out or a good place to camouflage the life that we actually live through the week. And I'm telling you, any of us who set ourselves up in opposition to God's love, any of us who will not yield, surrender to his power, his authority, any of us who don't want any part in the work he's doing in the world, understand, we set ourselves up in opposition to God. And by definition, that makes us his enemy. The book of Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says this. Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. That's the way the Bible describes it. We were all enemies of God, though he loves us. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because Jesus Christ has made us, say the word, friends. Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Y'all, money can't buy that. Being a good person doesn't earn that. That that friendship of God is something that comes only to us by way of a very costly gift. It costs the death of God's son, Jesus, while we were still his enemies. The friendship with God. You know, in this world, we have a thousand ways of making ourselves seem or feel more important than other people. But... But in reality, in the world the way God sees the world, there are none of us more important. None of us who are made more significant because of our abilities or our looks or our money or anything else. We're all the same. We're all sinners. And outside of Christ, we're all enemies of God. But because of Jesus, you have this amazing offer to have a different kind of relationship with God. You could actually become God's friend. i don 't really know who you are I, I, I know some of you because i 've known you all my life but i don 't know i don 't know the heart i don 't know the person you are on the inside but but God knows the person you are on the inside. if you will come to him if you will learn to come into right relationship friendship with God, that horrible sense of dissatisfaction that continues to keep you from enjoying your own life that He can replace that with a godly sense of contentment. That that simple way that you can't be satisfied or content with anything in life, understand that's a spiritual symptom of, of a sickness that Jesus himself can heal if you will come to him, become his friend. That that way that you can sin and sin, and sometimes you feel bad, but lots of times you don't. Sometimes you go through the day, and it never even registers that you've lied, that that you've cheated, that you've done so many things that you should have never done. You can sail through your life without even ever saying you're sorry to anybody. There's, There's something dead inside of you, and Jesus will bring that to life if you will come to him, if you will believe, if you'll turn to him. Understand? You may not think of yourself as God's enemy, but until you surrender to the power and the love of Jesus in your own life, you certainly can't call yourself God's friend. But I'm telling you, one of the most amazing things your money can ever buy is the friendship of God. It's offered as a free gift if you'll receive it. Asking it to receive it today. The very friendship of God. But pray with me. Pray in Jesus' name and for His.